Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. All right, we are in Malachi, starting a new book. Like I said, it's the last book of the Old Testament. There's four chapters in it, so it should only take us about four years to get through it. Uh, Malachi. Now, after the book of Malachi, there are 400 years of silence. Imagine, 400 years where God does not speak to his people. What a disaster that would be to you and I, huh? If God wasn't speaking his word to us, yet you and I have at our fingertips 24-7, 365, God's word. We have access to great teachings. Hopefully we take part in that. We take advantage of that. Still think of the uh, YouTube video that Pastor Joe sent me and then I shared with you one Sunday here of the Asian people when they got that box of Bibles, how they were on fire. They were just so excited. They were brought to tears as a result of getting a whole Bible, Old and New Testament. I pray, Lord, that we would always just keep growing in our hunger to get into God's Word, to squeeze it, to meditate on it, to chew on it, to get as much as we can out of every morsel He sends into our eyes and to our heart. Now, Malachi means my messenger. The word Malachi means my messenger. And isn't it interesting that this is the last messenger for 400 years. And just think about this. There, there probably will never be another time in the history of the universe where God will be silent. Even during the tribulation, he'll have his 144,000 evangelists going out to try to still save the Christ-rejecting world. 400 years of silence. Lord, may we have ears to hear tonight those things you want us to know from this book of Malachi. Let's try to paint a little picture so we get an idea of where we are. This fits right in with the book of Nehemiah. Um, it was written either during the time or right after, but Nehemiah and Malachi were contemporaries. This book was written about 450 B.C., before Jesus was born, about 450 years. Now, six years earlier, around 444 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, the temple was being rebuilt during that time in Nehemiah. Now, during that building of the temple, picture you're a Jewish person, and I know some people in here are Jewish, but picture you're a Jewish person, everything in your life centered around that temple. Now we know that you and I, and any Messianic Jew, any completed Jew, anybody that's received Jesus, they are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in you and in me. But back in this day, God resided in an actual building. 
behind the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat, right in the, on the Ark of the Covenant. Think of that time, though, that some of these people were living. When they were younger, there was no temple, and it was rebuilt in their lifetime. Think of how psyched you must have been to see it being rebuilt and then eventually being able to go there and worship there and have the sacrifices reinstituted there. Think of your fervor. Think of how happy you would be when something that was taken away from you and, and people that you were related to were in exile and then finally came back to the land of Israel. It was a glorious time. It was a great time. So these people were psyched. There was a lot of spiritual energy that just resurrected as a result of what was going on at this time. Some great things were going on. Some of them I'll list here, but it's things that you and I take part in. People were staying in God's Word. They were reading God's Word. They were listening to it. They were meditating on it. They were following His law. They were following His law. You and I today, we follow God's law by walking in the Spirit. Following God through the Holy Spirit and His, and His Word. They had stopped intermarrying with surrounding pagan nations. They were obeying God's word not to marry someone of a different belief. Because God had told them that once you do that, that person will impact you negatively in your worship of the one living true God. And he was right. We can see that in history. How when the Jewish people intermarried with the pagan nations surrounding them, that they fell away from worshiping God and they started worshiping their gods. They were keeping the Sabbath. They were keeping the Sabbath holy, one of the commandments of God. They were tithing. They were honoring God through their tithes. And that, those tithes would go to the Levitical priesthood who were serving and ministering in the temple and to the people. But as so often does throughout history, revivals die out. Nehemiah, who was a contemporary of Malachi, he had left for a while to go to Persia, modern-day Iran. And when he returned to Jerusalem, there was no more spiritual fire. Instead, there was corruption and apathy. Tithing stopped. There was no financial support for the temple or the priesthood. The Levites went back home. They weren't hanging out in the temple anymore. They left. People were not keeping the Sabbath. People were intermar intermarrying. Their children couldn't even speak the original Hebrew language anymore. They were speaking the language of the other nations. The temple was still standing, but the individual spiritual walls were crumbled down. Now, we are the temple, the Bible says, you and I. Nehemiah, 
again, who was alive at this time, started rebuilding the spiritual wall and the commitment of the people. He was ministering to the people. And he had an awesome responsibility. During a time now of spiritual backsliding and bringing more spiritual reform into this time frame, all of a sudden, out of the scene, comes Malachi. Again, remember what his name means. My messenger. He had some words to go along with what Nehemiah was already doing. Now, Malachi spoke to the exiles about a hundred years after they returned from their captivity. He spoke after Zechariah and Haggai. These were two other prophets during that time, or just before Malachi. Now, some of the sins, or most of the sins that Nehemiah talked about were also the sins that Malachi was rebuking the people about. And again, some of the main ones. The priesthood was defiled. We'll see a little bit of that tonight. Marriage was corrupt. And tithing was kept from the Levitical priesthood. There were promises made by the prophets before Malachi. Some of the prophecies came and were fulfilled in the lifetime of these people. Other things were not fulfilled yet. And here's the one I want to throw out to you and to me tonight. Some of the prophecies were yet fulfilled. And as a result of those prophecies not being fulfilled yet, guess what happened to the people? Even though the other ones were fulfilled, they became discouraged. They gave up hope. They left their first love. Just like the church in Revelation. They left their first love. They knew God had done some great things in the past, but they didn't keep up their hope for what God was still going to do in the future. We're going to see tonight how Malachi did it a little bit different in his approach with how he ministered to the people. Most prophets gave sermons or proclamations. We're going to see in the first few verses that we look at tonight that Malachi's message is in a question and answer format. Now, it's pretty neat with this style because one of the results of this type of style of question and answers is it drives God's message home. It's very direct. And it also shows the attitude of the people. It exposes, in this case that we're going to look at tonight, a bitter attitude. So let's jump in to the first few verses. In verse 1, it says, The burden, also an oracle it's called, and we'll look at that in a second. The burden or oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, the word oracle, in this context, 
It's a divine communication or revelation of the Word of God. A divine communication or revelation of the Word of God. And notice also the word burden. You know what a burden is. It's heavy. You know, it might be something heavy on your heart that you want to share with someone dear to you. And until you get it off of your heart, just like a heavy load, until you get it off your shoulders, you're not relaxed. Well, Malachi, God's messenger, had a word to give of the Lord to Israel. And remember the word Israel means governed by God. And when we hear that, that's you and me. That's the thing that when we accepted Jesus into our heart as our Lord and Savior, we were saying, God, I want you to govern me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And God is directing this to the nation Israel, the nation that was the apple of his eye, the nation that he separated from all the other nations, the nation that he wanted to be the light to all the pagan nations. He chose Israel to be that light, to be that witness, to be the mirror image of himself to the world. And we know through history and we know currently that they are not that light. But as their rejection of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their rejection of Jesus, God turned his attention to you and to me, the Gentile nation, to be that light. But one of the things the Bible says is that we are to be that light and also to cause our future brothers and sisters, the Israelites, the Jewish people, jealousy, because they, they look at us and they want what we want because it's a spiritual hunger that's been satisfied in us that by when we pray for and we work with the Jewish people that God brings in our midst, it creates a jealousy in them for their God, for the lover of their souls. And God is going to use that Jewish nation when we're gone to reach out to a Christ-rejecting world in a last attempt to save them. But there's great news also. There are many believers among the Jewish people now that they recognize Jesus as their Messiah. They are completed Jews. They are Messianic Jews. They believe in the same Messiah as you and I. And that's a glorious thing. God is doing a great work and he is not a respecter of persons, whether it be a Gentile or a Jew. And he's speaking, he's, this burden of the word of the Lord is to Israel and it's coming by Malachi, my messenger. Did you know that the Holy Spirit in you equips you, helps you to be a messenger to a Christ-rejecting world? To the people in your family, to the people in your jobs, in your schools, in your neighborhoods. You are a Malachi. I'm a Malachi. I'm a messenger. Do we take that to heart? Or do we sit in our pity pool and say, God could never use me? It's baseball season. Knock that out of the park, that thought. Knock it out of the park. It's a lie of the enemy. 
It's a lie of the enemy. You are God's messenger that God equips for works of service every time you read your Bible, every time you go to church and listen to a sermon, every time you listen to a teacher on a CD or something. God is filling you. He's renewing you. He's changing you from the inside out. Why? To touch another person. Who's going to touch another person? It's a Christian domino effect. It's been working great for centuries. It's awesome how he does it. So never think of yourself less because God has told us throughout his word, you're his messenger, you're his witness to a Christ-rejecting world. And this world we live in, it's getting darker, it's not getting lighter. What's getting lighter are the individual Christians who are on fire for the Lord who are touching the dark areas that they're walking through on their way to meet Jesus face to face. It's getting darker. Good is bad, and bad is good. Definitely, no doubt about it. It's crazy. It's crazy. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Now here we see that question and answer. We're being exposed to that right now. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Did you ever say that? To the Lord? Did you ever ask him, Lord, I believe in you, but why is this happening? Like, why is, why is this going on in my life? Or why is this going on in my church? Or why is this going on in my state or world? Why is all this suffering going on? What's going on? Why is this happening? God tells us that he loves us. God tells us that. He's a God of love in the Old Testament as well as the New. It's not just the New Testament he reveals his love, right? We see it throughout the Old Testament. I think of the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And I can stop right there. God created. He took his will and said, I am going to create. And in just that word, in the beginning, God created. Just in that word created is a ton of love when you think about it. Because now all of a sudden, God was going to create things. And we know, looking back, we have that vantage point, what he created. The universe. The planet that we live on. The animals. The creatures in the sea. Each other. Magnificent creations, everything that he's done. Just in that, just he, he said, I'm going to take, not a chance, because he knows how it's all going to work out, but I'm going to make you special. Every one of you I'm going to make individually special. Every characteristic that you have, that you think is a weakness or a strength, God gave you. Everything. He did not make a mistake when he made you or I. The personalities that each of us have, the differences 
that each of us have. We talked about how sometimes we're sandpaper to other people. We rub people the wrong way, but sandpaper is a good thing. Look at the walls. Look how smooth and, and nice they are. Think of things that are rough that need to be sanded down to make them shiny and, and looking new. Well, God has chosen the differences in all of us to make us more into his image. Think about that. We would have never done that. You and I would have never created another person to irritate us. Right? You would have never done that. I would have never done that. But how many people irritate you? You might be sitting next to one right now. Only kidding. No, maybe not. But you know what I mean. God is always testing our heart to see of the sin and the gook that's still in there. And he does it with people that are confessed sons and daughters of his. We know in the world there's people that don't know God, that are lost. And God wants us to show grace and love to them. But if we can show grace and love to them, how much more should we be showing grace and love to each other? that have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Another way we know God loved us or loves us is that he created you and me in his image. No other created thing is made in his image. He chose you, woman, and me, man, and men here to be in his image. Think about that. Think of all the things that that means. That's, that's a tremendous thing. Yet, the enemy, of course, will try to put doubts in us that we didn't come from God, that we came from a monkey and an ape. And think of the problems that's caused over the decades and centuries with self-image and hope or hopelessness as a result of the lie of the enemy. Remember Satan in the garden with Eve. Did God really say? He put that doubt in Eve right from the start. And he's been using that ever since. Did we really come from a, created, a creator? Did we really come from a creator? Is there really a God? Think about the things that Satan has used throughout history to create doubt into you and me. But yet God said, I've created you in my image. Way back in Genesis, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created everything that we walk out into when we leave here. He made it. Man a man and a woman a woman. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. All eternity will know the truth. But you and I have been shown the truth while we're still on this earth, which is a glorious thing. The Bible says that God is love. Seems simple, but you know what? Outside of God, really, is, there's no love. It's all artificial. If God is love, 
anything not of God cannot be love. Can't be. Because God said, He's love. If it's in God, it's true love. If it's outside of God, it can't be the love that God created. And does anybody want any love that God hasn't created? No. You'd be foolish. Throughout your history and my history, think about it. We've used these examples before. The best-looking Hollywood actor and the best-looking Hollywood actress with all the money that is in the world get together and are married. How many of those stay long together? They have everything that the world deems is necessary for true love and true happiness. And why doesn't it work? What's happened there? God is love. God is love. Very, three simple words, but it means everything for all eternity. The people in hell and the lake of fire for eternity are going to know that God is love and that they rejected it. And the people in heaven for eternity are going to know God is love. And every time we see the scars on Jesus in heaven, we're going to be blown away by his love. We're going to be blown away. Those scars are not going to be imperfect in heaven. They're going to be the most beautiful things that we've ever seen. I think every time we look at it, we're just going to be blown away by what he did for us. For while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for you and me. Before we knew him, he loved us. Incredible. It's incredible. Another thing of his love, he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. How many of you would do that for a Christ-rejecting world? Think about it. How many of you would lay down your life for your enemy? You might do it for a family member, right? Somebody that you love unconditionally. But what about for the enemy? For those who persecute you? You know, would you lay down your life for them? Jesus did it. Jesus did that. That was his love. For everything he created, he was willing to die for. What love is that? How do we even grasp that? How do we even get an idea of that? A friend of mine uh, said this the other day with his newborn child. His baby couldn't even open his eyes yet. The baby didn't even see him yet. Yet the dad said, the strength and awesomeness of his unconditional love for his son, even though his son hadn't even seen him yet, was so powerful that he got a glimpse of God's love for him. And you know what he said? He was a convenient Christian until his son was born. And that's when he said, I get it, Lord. I get it. I'm sold out, Lord. I got it now. I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours for eternity. 
And what did God use? He used that little baby. What is it in your life that God is using to try to convey his love to you? And maybe you haven't thought about that in a while. Well, think about what it was, how God got your attention to show you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how he will never leave you or forsake you no matter what you're going through in this world. He's going to see you through everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's sickness. It doesn't matter if it's physical, mental, spiritual. It doesn't matter if it's social stuff, uh, the economy stuff. It doesn't matter. He's our God. He's going to see us through. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting eternal life. That's God's word. That's his promise to you. That's his words. We talked about this before. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. There's no other ground. He can't be a good guy and be lying to us. He can't be the son of God if he's lying to us. He's got to be the worst deceiver that ever came on this earth. But no, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's shown himself in the Old Testament. In Genesis 5 is the gospel when you break down some of the names. He talks about his birth right in Genesis 3 talks about his crucifixion in Psalm 22. Talks about himself in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament. Now, how about you and I? We're talking about God's love for us. How about our love for God as brothers and sisters in Jesus? The Bible says in John 14, 15, that we love God by keeping his commandments. Now, we have to be careful because there are many churches, both non-denomination and denominational churches, that are very legalistic, and they are trying to legally keep the commandments. And as Pastor Joe has taught and other pastors have taught, and I think Pastor Joe used, I was downstairs with the kids, but I think he used the mirror to show you that that represented the law, the mirror. Remember, the mirror showed you the dirt on your face. I would have loved to have seen Pastor Joe all dirtied up here. To see the uh, dirt on your face. So the mirror represented the law. Okay? You can't clean yourself with the mirror. The mirror is only showing you the dirt. The law only shows you the dirt. The blood of Christ is the cleansing agent to cleanse our sins. Once the law shows us that we can't keep it. Over 600 laws were condensed into the Ten Commandments. Look at those commandments. If you break just any one of them in the slightest degree, the Bible says you're guilty of breaking all of them. And 
The law was also a tutor that leads to Jesus Christ. A tutor takes the place of the real teacher until the teacher comes back into the classroom. Once the real teacher is back there, you don't need the tutor anymore. Jesus is the real teacher. So when Jesus came to this earth, when he died and rose from the dead, he sent us his Holy Spirit. Now we follow Jesus through his Holy Spirit and dwelling in us. We fulfill the law by following his Spirit. We don't have to keep our eyes on the law. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. For he is the author and perfecter of our faith. You've got to be careful of that legalism creeping back in to your life, to your church. You've got to watch it. It's important. Because people like to do something to get something. We like to do something to get something. We like to do push-ups to try to get muscles. We like to go to work to try to get a paycheck. It's just the opposite with the Lord. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We follow him. We get into his word. We pray. We fellowship. We have communion with each other. We're doing those things that God wants us to do. We reach out to other people. We witness. Those are the things that God has called us to do in the power of his spirit, not in the power of our flesh. How are you tempted in these areas that we're talking about right now? And the biggest one we're talking about is that love. How are you tempted in looking at God's love towards you and your love towards God. Well, I know what the enemy tries to do because I've lived through some of these things that I'm going to share with you right now, and so have you. It's, no, it's not unique to me or to any one of you. We all deal with these things. One of the first things is discouragement. We get discouraged. Maybe our prayers aren't answered. That's an example. There's many examples. You can come up with as many as me. Maybe we're praying for something and God's not answering the way we like it. Who's Lord? Who's God? Who has the eternal wisdom? Who knows the best thing for us? Think of little children. Do they really know what safety is? Do they really, really understand things that they should and should not do? No. That's why there's a mom and a dad to keep them safe until they're that age where they're moving on to the next phase of their life. But we have to get them there. We can't just let them go nuts and do everything they want. We're accountable for who they are and what they're doing. Another thing. That temptation comes in the form of doubting. As we said with Eve in the garden and and the devil planting that seed. Did God really say? There are so many things that have happened throughout our lifetime and before us, hard to explain. You think of the Holocaust. How many Christians were in those camps that died? How many Christians were in Hiroshima? 
Nagasaki. How many were there that died when the atom bomb was dropped on them? How about our Christian brothers and sisters who are being martyred? How about Cassie Burnell's and those people at Columbine that were killed? Kids that stood up for Jesus in the public schools. We don't have, we don't have all the answers. We know that a lot of this happens as a result of sin and, and rebellion against Jesus Christ. But we need to also have the heart of Job. That even though God will slay you or slay me, I will still trust in him. And that comes as a result of your faith being rock solid on the rock, Jesus Christ, and your faith grows and stays strong by getting in the word, by reading his word, by digesting it and meditating on it and reading through it and then reading through it again and again and again and again until you meet the word of God face to face. That's when you can put your Bible down. When you meet the word of God face to face. Another way that your love is tempted besides discouragement and doubting is just by a sinful heart. Just by doing things that you know are contrary to God's will, but you want to do it because sin is pleasurable for a season. And it's that old satanic lie, that can never happen to me, it's okay. I deserve this little sin tonight. You know, I've had a rough day. It's a lie of the enemy. That's out of the pit of hell. Drop to your knees. Call a friend. Pray with a friend on the telephone. Uh, Just get alone in your closet and pray to the Lord. Read his word. Open his word. Meditate on it day and night. Hide his word in your heart. So you don't sin against him. God tells us that. Hide his word in your heart so you don't sin. How are you doing with hiding his word in your heart? How much of his word is in your heart? Just your favorite verses? Or are you digesting all of his word into your heart sanctuary? Now let's look at some facts. Israel and you and I have been chosen and called by God. You and I and Israel have been called and chosen by God. You can see that throughout the Old and the New Testament. It's in a lot of places. I always like to throw Israel in there because it says that in the end times everybody's going to forsake Israel. And they're doing a pretty neat job lining up right now in turning their back on Israel, including our own nation. But the people of God will never do that. They will never do it because it's the same spirit that God has given us that he gave to the prophets and to all these men and women. to pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem because God is not finished with them yet. Because you and I are going to come back one day with the Lord to Israel to defeat all those people that are anti-Christ.
And that's going to be a trip. A great trip. And it's already been paid for. It's already been paid for at Calvary. Was not, and the last part of verse 2 we'll finish up on tonight, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. We'll get into that a little bit more next time. I just want to look at, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Now we know there was Abraham, there was Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah gave birth to Esau, and to Jacob. Okay? Esau was the younger. I'm sorry. Esau was the older, and Jacob was the younger. So what I want to do is just finish on this. If you flip back to Genesis 25, 23. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. And we'll close on this. God's sovereignty is tremendous. He knew you and I before the foundation of the world. He knew that Christ was going to die on a place called Calvary for you and for I, and that you and I were going to receive him into our hearts, as well as your friends, your relatives, or whoever has already done that, as well as those people that still have yet to come to the Lord. He knows those who are going to be his. And as we look at this part of Genesis, verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now, this went against the Jewish heritage. The older son would get the inheritance. He would get the blessing. He would get the authority to carry on the father's will. But here we see in the part of Malachi we're stopping on that Esau, I hate it, but Jacob, I loved. And we're going to look at that love and hate the next time we get together. But what I want to close on is this. God knew back in Genesis 25, as he spoke here, that there were going to be two nations in the womb of Rebekah. There were going to be two peoples, two nations, separated from your body. One of those people or nations shall be stronger than the other. And notice, and the older shall serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. Well, the older was Esau, who became the Edomites, an, en an enemy nation to Israel. They were enemies to Israel. They wouldn't let, let them pass through their land as a shortcut to where they were going. And then you have the younger, which was Jacob, whose name was changed 
to Israel governed by God. So you have one of the nations was fighting against Israel, the Edomites. Then you have the other, the other nation that was serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that was Israel. In your heart and my heart, there are, is a war. Just like Esau and Jacob. Jacob was also known as uh, the heel catcher, the, de the deceiver. And throughout Jacob's life, you see him always deceiving people, always tricking people to get his way. But the fight between your, in your heart and my heart is between the flesh and the spirit. The one you feed is the one that's going to win. The one you give time to is the one that's going to dominate. Keep eating from God's word. Don't go to the pigsty to get a shower. Go to God's word. Purify yourself in his word. Hide his word in your heart. For he is a God of love, and he has still have more to reveal to you and I than he has up to this point in our lives. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.